The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Bible with us, if you would, to the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, and find, if you will, chapter 5. If you know anything at all about the Gospel of Matthew, you're aware of the fact that this book contains what we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or I sometimes call it the greatest sermon ever preached. Why? Because it was preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, the Lord Jesus, and it contains a succinct statement of what he said about what it means to live the Christian life. 107 verses that are impregnated with tremendous power. Now you may recognize that the first part of chapter 5 is what we've come to call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes essentially tell us what we ought to be as Christians. And the rest of the chapter 5 and all of 6 and 7 tell us what we ought to do. Now we're just going to be looking at one short four-verse paragraph here. Beginning in verse 13, if you look in your Bible, you will see what Jesus says about the power of your influence. Here it is. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before men and others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. If I were to ask you this morning to jot down on a piece of paper the people who have had an influence in your life, for good or for bad, what would you put down there? I'm not asking out loud. I'm just getting you to think. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the power of your influence. Every one of us have been influenced by other people, basically We're a product of the people we know, the books we've read, and the places we've been. One more time. Basically, you and I are the product of the people we know, the books we've read, or the places we've been. And so, as you look at the situation this morning, the power of your influence, mainly the Sermon on the Mount, the theme of it is this. The theme of this sermon is Christians are called to be different. Now, not odd, 
It's one thing to be different. It's another thing to be an oddball. I'm not appealing to you. Go out here and try to be nuts in the world. He didn't say that. He says we're to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But the point of the matter is Christians are called to be different. You are. I am. And yet, increasingly we see there's a vague difference at times between Christians and the non-Christians. What we're looking at this morning is the power of your influence. Now, whatever you hear this preacher say today, hear this. Each of us, everyone in this room, including your speaker, each of us does have an influence for good or for bad. Every one of us. Now, if you ask me to define what your influence is, I would simply say, Influence is the sum total of the effect of our lives upon others for good or for bad. Now, you have an influence. I have an influence. Jesus tells us something about how to use that influence. Several years ago, I read an intriguing book by Chuck Colson that many of you have come, become familiar with. It was written some years after he had become a Christian. The title of the book was simply The Body, B-O-D-Y. It was talking about the church. And in that, he says there are three attitudes you and I can take towards the world. One is identification. We can just be identified with the world. We can get so caught up in the world and be so involved in all that's going on the morals and the mores and the value system and the ways of thinking of the world that we just mesh into the world and we become amalgamated with it and you can't tell any difference between the Christians and the non-Christians. And dear friend, many times that is exactly the way it is. Young people at school, the kids at your school know that you're a Christian by the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act. Businessmen, Is there any difference in your morals and your business reports and your ethics and the non-Christian? Well, remember, Christians are called to be different. Now, Chuck Colson says some people, Christians, just identify with the world. That's certainly not what we want to do. The second possibility is the opposite of that, that we're isolated from the world, isolation. That is, that we just separate ourselves from the world. And many people think they're really living the Christian life when they just alienate themselves from the world and they just associate with Christians. You know, they go to church with Christians. They go to football games with Christians. They go to carpools with Christians. They go to pizza with Christians. They have Christians over for dinner. They eat cake and coffee with Christians. Preacher, that's just what Christians do. We get along with Christians. That's right. Some of us do just that. I even read recently about a subdivision out in Texas only had Christians in it. I don't know how legal they got by with that, but only Christians in it. Now you say, what's wrong with that? Listen, dear friend, ultimately that attitude says, let the world die and go to hell. I don't care. Now I know you wouldn't say that, but sometimes if we're not careful, we just We associate with Christians because that's who we are. If I were to ask you this morning, young people, young adults, senior adults, 
If I ask you to name five people that you know personally, you have a meaningful relationship with, who are not Christians, could you do it? Most of us could not. Because we just are always associating with Christians. You say, preacher, I go to church all the time. Well, that's not exactly what Jesus told us to do. He said, go in the world and make disciples. Not just go to church all the time. Now, I'm glad you're coming to church, especially this morning. I'm glad you're here. But by the same token, we don't want to just get isolated from the world. One extreme is identification. We just melt and mold into the world. Another extreme is isolation. We separate ourselves from the world. The extreme that I would ask you to emulate today is what Colson calls infiltration, or I probably like the word penetration better. That rather than identify with the world or isolate from the world, we try to penetrate the world. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, that he is challenging us to infiltrate the world, penetrate the world. Three things I want you to see here in this text. Number one, there are two duties we are to do. Number two, there are two dangers we are to avoid. And number three, there are two dividends we can enjoy. Are you good with me? First of all, let's look at the two duties that Jesus talks about here in these four verses. It doesn't take a theologian to see what he says. First of all, he says we are to function as light, as salt, and secondly, we're to shine as light. Now, it doesn't take a theologian to understand that. He says you're to function as salt. What does salt do? Well, you know it has a lot of properties. In fact, in research for this sermon, I found there 14,000 things that salt does. I had no idea. Now, we don't have time to look at all of them, but I would look at 13,000. No, no, I don't want to. I just want to mention two or three, the ones we're most familiar with. To begin with, salt heals. You know what I'm talking about? I can remember as a little boy, my mother used to make me gargle with salt water if I had a sore throat. I didn't know what it did. It just made me feel better. I later learned Salt has a healing effect. If you've ever had a cut and you went bathing or swimming in salt water, sometimes just the salt in the water can make a little nick on your hand or foot feel better. Salt has a healing effect. And I think Jesus is saying, this is a bruised, battered, broken, ugly world. You can have a healing effect upon it. It's coming apart of the seams. You can have a bringing together of the world. Now, remember, you don't have to be in a majority to function as salt. You know what I'm talking about? Christians are never called to be in a, a majority. <coughs> we are to have a healing effect. Secondly, salt also, we're most familiar with it. What does it do? It seasons. A little boy said one time, that salt is that thing when it's not on your food, it makes it taste bad. Well, you know, I kind of think he had it right. Some of you may have been on a saltless diet. You know, I've had some friends that thought all salt was poison. You ought to leave it off. Well, I'd hate to have to do that, but salt is a seasoning effect. It gives season to our food. You know what I'm talking about. I can remember back in our family when my wife used to cook. I'm already in trouble, but when we used to cook at our... We used to cook at our house. 
would sit down to eat a meal, I'd pick up the salt shaker, just a dash or two. She said, why do you pick up the salt shaker without tasting it? I said, I don't have to live with you 25 or 35 years. No, you don't put enough salt in the food. I'm joking you, but actually that happened. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just know that just a little shake of the salt shaker puts just enough in it to give it taste. Hear me. Your life can be just like that. Your life can give seasoning to the world we're in. It's a putrefying, ugly, nasty world out of fellowship with God. We're all gone crazy. You can have a seasoning effect on the world. And thirdly, salt sometimes is used to preserve. I can remember as a young lad, many summers, I would spend the summer down near Mobile with my grandparents all summer long. And one of the things I always enjoyed doing, we would kill a hog and my grandfather would cut it up, butcher it, and then we'd go in the smokehouse and he would salt it down. Why? If you just put that meat in there without salt on it, it's going to decay and rot. But if you salt it down, as he said, it would be cured and the salt preserved it almost indefinitely. Now, when you got to cook it, you had to rake it off. Some of you are smiling, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you say, you're crazy, preacher. I never heard of that. Well, you ask your granddaddy. Sometime, salt is used to preserve. Now, in all of this, keep in mind, listen carefully. Salt always is most effective in very small quantities. You don't want to sit down and say a whole blob of salt on your food. If you did that, it would be bad tasting. Christians don't have to be in the majority to have an effect on the world. Listen, folk, we need to accept the fact we will never be in the majority. Christians are called to be different but we will never be in the majority. And don't come to me with the idea, boys and girls, everybody else is doing it, preacher, why can't I do it? Because everybody else is usually wrong. That's why. Sometimes young people say, especially girls, but Brother Carter, he, my boyfriend said, if, I'd go, if I loved him, I'd go all the way. What am I supposed to say? Tell him if he loves you, he won't ask you to do that. It's, it, it, it really makes a lot of sense when you stop and think about it. We're the salt of the earth. We're to have a penetrating effect on the world, not the reverse, that we let the world affect us. So hear me when I say salt functions best when it's in a minority. You don't have to go around telling people how spiritual you are, how holy you are, how many times you've read the Bible, how much you pray. Just do it. They'll know the difference. We don't have to show it off to them. Christians will always be in a minority, just like salt always functions best in small quantities. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said there are two duties you have. One is to function as salt. Now he may have meant a lot of other things about this. I don't know. But I know this much. He said you're to be a healing effect, a seasoning effect, a preserving effect. Then he says you also are to shine as light. Now, if I ask you, as smart as you are, what is the primary purpose of light? Any sensible person knows primarily light dispels darkness. Have you ever thought about it? Darkness never overcomes light. If this room were completely dark and you lit a candle, everybody could see the candle. 
you turned on a flashlight. Everybody could see it when you've got multiple lights. The lights drive out the darkness. The darkness never overcomes the light. And Jesus says, you're to be that way. Light is always more powerful than darkness. He said in John 8, 32, I am the light of the world. And then he says here in verse 14, you are the light of the world. That is, you're to help dispel the darkness of the world, not to go around complaining about how bad the world is. It is, and I know that. And sometimes I hear Christians, oh, what we're going to do, the world is so bad. Look, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Amen? The darker the night, the brighter your light can shine for Christ. And so primarily we're to shine as light and to function as salt. But now there are two dangers, Jesus said. Look at it. The two dangers are salt can be contaminated and light can be concealed. I learned as I was preparing for this sermon some things maybe I learned in chemistry. I just didn't remember it. Salt is a stable compound. That means to you chemists, it can't be broken down. Salt, <coughs> excuse me, salt stays salt. It never does break down. NaCl always stays salt. It can't be broken down. It'll never become anything else, but it can be contaminated in the day and time in which Jesus was speaking. They knew what he was talking about. Oftentimes, we're told by archaeologists, they line the inside of their little makeshift ovens with salt, and it helped keep the heat in. It kept helping to break their, their food, their bread, and whatnot. But after many, many months or years of using it, it became impure. And so they had to, we would say, clean out the oven. You and I push a button and it cleans itself, but they had to clean it out. And then Jesus said, it's good for nothing. Thrown out, trampled under the foot of men. They immediately knew what he was talking about. And he said, you can be the same way. Your life, like the lining of that oven, can be contaminated by the world that you're living in to such a point you hear what he said? You're good for nothing. I didn't say that. Jesus did. You become and I can become good for nothing. Salt can be contaminated. You don't want that to happen. Your life can be contaminated. Now hear me. Salt is a stable compound. It never ceases to be salt. I'm not suggesting you can lose your salvation. I happen to believe that if you ever got it, you can't lose it. If it was eternal to begin with, you can't ever lose it. If it wasn't eternal to begin with, you didn't really have it. But if you've got it, you're not going to lose it. I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but listen to me. You and I can lose our influence. Parents can lose their influence over their children just by living an inconsistent life. Johnny laughs at you when you talk about the dangers of drugs and he sees beer and alcohol in your icebox. He said, Dad, what are you talking about? What's that? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying we have an influence and I can lose that influence. Most of us in this room know people who at one time were dedicated Christians. 
Now, if they died tomorrow, they're still going to heaven. But what has happened? They have lost their influence. To the point, they're not effective in their witness for Christ. They're no longer living for him. They're no longer the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They're not lost. They've just lost, not their salvation, but their influence. The two dangers, salt, which we're the salt of the earth, can be contaminated. It never loses its salt, it being salt, but it can lose its saltiness. Secondly, Jesus said light can be concealed. You know what he's talking about there. You can hide your light. You can pretend that you're not a Christian or you can pretend that you don't pay any attention to the smutty jokes and the dirty talk that goes on at school or in the, uh, in the business office. And you can just not say anything. You can just conceal your light. Or you can shine your light. Either way. But the light can be concealed. We can hide it. We can, as he tells here, we can put it under a bowl and it doesn't give light to anybody. Many, many times in the world in which we live, which by and large is characterized by darkness, we just fail to function as light. We just blend into the darkness and nobody ever notices the difference. Jesus says, don't do that. Why? You, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, we're not the source of the light. We're the reflectors of the light. He's the source of the light, but we are the reflectors of the light. So, there are two duties. We are to function as salt, shine as light. There are two dangers. Salt can be contaminated. Light can be concealed. But now, look at the two dividends. The two dividends, one is earthly, One is heavenly. The earthly dividend is the world is going to see that you're different. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to go around talking about when you were born again and all that. It's all right if you want to do that, but you don't have to do a lot of talking about it. It's not so much how you talk, it's how you walk. Or as Vance Havner used to say, it's not how high you jump when you get it, it's how straight you walk when you come down. And if you can remember this, that your walk as different, your morals, your vocabulary, your business ethics, your honesty, your integrity, it's different. Now, when we do that, they're going to see our good works. They can't help but see it. But your motive is not to call attention to yourself. Your motive is to glorify God, just like in this room. I hope You're not sitting there saying, you know, preacher, I counted them. There are 218 lights up there in the ceiling in the First Baptist Church of Pelham. I don't know how many lights they are, but what? The light doesn't call attention to itself. You're not even conscious of it until I mention some idiotic thing like that. And now you're going to sit there and count them, see if I'm right. I haven't counted them. I don't know. I don't care. I know the light does what it's supposed to do. It gets rid of the darkness And when you let your light shine, you don't call attention to yourself any more than those lights up there calling attention to them or any more the salt in your food says, look how salty this is. If it does that, it's too much of it. 
So my point is, our earthly dividends is, we are different, our good works will be seen, but our motive, the reason we're doing it, is not to call attention to us. Neither salt nor light calls attention to itself. If it does, something's wrong. Too much salt, too much light will blind you. Too much salt will sicken you. Neither one call attention to themselves and both of them function best in just small quantities. But there's also a heavenly dividend. The heavenly dividend is, even though we're not the source of the light, we're the reflectors of the light and others can be led to glorify God. We sang about that a moment ago. We'll give glory to God, the source of light. Remember, you have an influence. Absolutely every one of us. And my appeal to you here in this little brief message is, as you look at the power of your influence, your influence is the sum total of your effect on somebody else's life for good or for bad. You can't help but have an influence in more than you can keep from breathing. But you have a control over whether or not it's for good or for bad. What about your influence? You say, I don't know, Dr. Carter. I mentioned Chuck Colson a moment ago. Some of you may remember. Chuck Colson was in the Richard Nixon administration. He was a part of the collapse of that. He ended up going to prison. In fact, he served a term of prison right here in Alabama down at Maxwell Field. But later in his life, through the influence of one Christian, he came to know Jesus. 1973, outside of Washington, D.C., sitting in the driveway of the home of a man you've never heard of, I doubt, Tom Phillips. At that time, he was the CEO of the Raytheon Corporation. 78,000 people were under his employment, but he was a committed Christian. And he sat in his automobile with the dome light on and took a little Bible like I've got in my hand and showed Chuck Colson how God loved him, Christ died for him, Christ offered him eternal life. If he, despite all the wrong he had done, would believe, God would forgive him and save him and give him the gift of eternal life. And Chuck Colson said, that night I was born again under the influence of one godly man. Most everybody in the Christian world especially has heard of Chuck Colson. He died a year before last, I believe. Timothy George, our dean at Beeson, conducted his funeral. He died with faith in Christ. A brilliant man. But one who had been led and influenced by some in the wrong direction. But before it was too late. A simple man. A highly positioned man in the business world. Tom Phillips let his influence count for Christ. And he led Chuck Colson to Christ, who in turn led thousands of people to come to know Jesus. Listen to me. We have an influence. Only you can determine whether your influence is for good or for evil. Which will it be? Let's bow together for just a minute.
With that question reverberating in your mind, I want you to think about your influence. Is it for good or for bad? And then think about the people that have had influences on you. I ask you to do that to begin with. As you have, have you been more touched by people for good or for evil? Right now, will you ask God to help you be the kind of influence Jesus talks about here? To function as salt, not to call attention to itself, but to give healing and preservation and seasoning to our world. To function as light in the midst of darkness. If you're not a Christian, I want to say to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only perfect man who ever lived, wants to be a godly influence on your life. And he says right now, if you'll trust me, I will forgive you of every sin and come into your heart and save you. Will you do that? It can happen today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that helps us understand it and apply it to our lives. And Father, help us to have an influence for good and not bad. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, we're going to sing our invitation hymn. The staff will be right here to welcome you as you make your decision for Christ right now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.